Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shireko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shireko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, this is Susan Shireko. Welcome. Jeremiah Miller has joined us now to talk about his book, Celestial Symphony of a Soul Skipper. I'll let you hear a reading from that or uh, from that book, or actually it's not a reading, it's, a, it's an actual audio clip uh, from that book in just a few minutes. But the information for this work came at a time when Jeremiah was deeply depressed and it became an incredible grift. So let's learn more. Please wave your hands to welcome Jeremiah Will Miller. Hello, Jeremiah. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Jeremiah, I would love to share the the audio clip that you sent me of this Celestial Symphony. Can I do that right now so people have an idea of what it Absolutely. sounds like? Absolutely. Right. Let's do it. Hello, this is Jeremiah Miller, author of The Celestial Symphony of the Soul Skipper, reading the poem, the prophetic poem, The Celestial Symphony. The reflections of a life can be a collection of discord, including the class of rights the rite of passage from youth to old age until the simplest melody fades to a low drone of desperation. It was at that moment in my life on March 9th, year 2000, that discord, depression, and hopelessness surrounded my soul. And that darkest night of the soul, I sat in the darkness of my room and played a CD of soft music and reached out to God. I continued to sit there for a while. I heard a still small voice within me I tried to ignore it, but it kept growing louder and louder within my heart. This is the first verse, the universe. Out of all the worlds, out of all the stars, from every grain of sand, from every blade of grass, I've searched high and low, far and wide, until I found you. You, I found you. From the highest mountain to the deepest sea, from the farthest star until all I could see is you 
you, you. You fill my eyes. You fill my heart. You fill my soul. You fill my world. Not heaven or hell could keep me from you. You are my love, my joy, my peace, my delight, my everything, you. What world, what threat of a king or thorny crown or jeering crowd or suspended cross between fear and doubt, life and death, none could stop me from making you mine, my forever you, my lovely you. So don't fear or even think I'd leave you now. The worst is over. My back has carried all your shame. I alone took the blame. And now my love is that flame burning forever through the darkest night of your soul. Lighting your pathway with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, meekness, faithfulness, and myself in control. You say I have no faith? I will be your faith. You say my hope is dead? Behold, I am hope raised again. You say I don't know how to love. See, love is I myself. Hold me in doubt no more. I am your love come in the flesh. I am love for both of us. Gaze now intently upon my loveliness and fear not. All you are not, I am that for you. And in that I am alone will transform you into your most beautiful image of love. No more will you hide from yourself. No more will you envy others. You shall know you are the most blessed beloved of the eternal Father Mother. Behold, where are your accusers? Who can lay any charge on you? Who is he that condemns? What can bring a charge against you, my chosen one? You and I are one. Oh, taste and see that this love we share is good, flowing from the blossoms of the tree of life. Embrace my spirit. Love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Call these songs to mind. Know that I am in you and you are in me. To see me is to see yourself. To love me is to love yourself. And to know me is to know your true self. Bless your water and your way.
That is so beautiful. This is such... This is such an incredible clip. I just love it. Um, so thank you very much for sharing it with us, Jeremiah. It oh, is thank such you. A, it is such a spiritual piece and and just pulls you along in its drama. What was your religious background? Because this, well, doesn't, the, this doesn't reflect what I you know normally think of. So what what was it? I um, at the age of fifteen, I joined a church in Germantown. And at that moment, I experienced uh, such a great overwhelming sense of love that all I could do was cry. And uh, I felt um, that all the lights came on in my heart. And, uh, um, I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, I uh, continue to follow the um, Christian Orthodox um, teachings of Christ. Now, uh, for my benefit, could you explain what you, how you define Orthodox Christianity? Well, the first... Um, I think the first tenet of Orthodox Christianity is that the Bible is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And that um, Jesus um, is the Son of God. And the church is the body of Christ in the world. And um Belief in Jesus is by faith and uh, by the grace of God. Uh, there are many other uh, p- components of orthodoxy, such as uh, the church having the authority over what is and what is not of God. <clears throat> and it has changed down through the years um, from Roman Catholicism all the way down to the latest um i guess ordination of a church in the world mm. well because there's many right there are many but it is what i find interesting is what you just said about the church being the roman catholic version being the final authority on on what would be included in the bible and, yes. and your your personal discovery along that line is that there were many books that were excluded, uh, and and yet there are Bible versions that include them. I think you you reminded me the the Bibles that have the apocrypha in them include a great many of these um, these oh, versions. Yes. 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 What what was it that? Um, how did you discover that? What was your um, what what did you where did you find them what what was your process there um well um i had uh began uh to go to the philadelphia community college mm-hmm. and uh i wanted to do a report on the uh foundation of the new testament how it came about so as a student at Philadelphia Community College, 
I had access to the University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And I spent a summer, the summer of, I would say 2000, not 2000, 1976, um, pouring over different books concerning the origin of the New Testament. And what I found was that the New Testament was a culmination of books that were um, um, that uh, books that the Constantine, the Emperor Constantine, had authorized as the New Testament. He um, excluded all the other books of the New Testament, which were many. And in 1945, uh, they were found. It's called the Nag Hammadi uh, scriptures. And they were found in a cave in Egypt, near Egypt, and um, by a shepherd. And uh, they were rescued. Um, and through that, um, I discovered that there were many other books of the New Testament that the church did not allow into the text or into the canon of scriptures. Um, So that opened a whole new door for me to understand that um, all that is about Christ and all that is about the uh, New Testament is available or is out there and that we need to search and and study it. But even more important than that, our individual experiences in God are valid. And uh, we can um, know God experientially just as the apostles did, just as uh, Christ did. We, we can experience uh, this wonderful message of God, which is love. Mm. Did you always have a sense of this, Jeremiah? Let me tell you, when I was a little kid, I remember uh, one of the first experiences I had about the love of God. I was sitting in a, um, my mom and my aunts were in the church's kitchen, my aunt's church, and they were doing each other's hair. And I was a little little boy around about five, and I was sitting in the sanctuary playing with my toys. And the light of the sun shone into that sanctuary, and I felt a great warmth, a great sense of love and oneness there. I didn't know what it was because I was only five. I couldn't articulate it, but I knew that it was something wonderful. And then when I was uh, in junior high school and I was walking home from junior high, I knew about God, but I didn't go to church. I just knew that God was the creator of everything. And I wanted to sing a song to God. And I talked to God like he was my friend, my close friend. And I said, God, I want to sing a song to you. 
but you you'll know it because you know everything, and I'll know it because I'm singing from my heart. So I began to sing in a language, in in a tongue, as you would say, from my heart to God, expressing my love for God. And later on, I would come to know that that was called singing in the spirit. Um, no one taught me it. I just knew it from my heart. I had not gone to church or heard anything about speaking in tongues or I haven't even ex- acknowledged uh, anything about Jesus or God or anything uh, except that I loved God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, you, you you know, a few years down the line, you, you actually um, joined the church. Yes. And are and are baptized in in the faith and took him as your yes. savior. Yeah. But you changed. You left the church in the sense of the the religious facilities. Um, yes. What did you find that the religions just didn't match your sense of the divine? Well, it did and it didn't. It, the, the way I could describe it is is a parable. Uh, if you put a plant in a a plant that you buy and you buy it in, in and in in it grows in a pot, the roots will start to spread and you'll have to transplant that plant into a larger pot or it will die. And I found that my experiences in the church and my experiences outside of the church got bigger and bigger and, and wider and wider. Um, uh, my understanding of God became bigger and bigger. And it came to a place where I had to make a decision whether I'm going to continue to follow what only the church would allow or would I uh, step out with God and, and begin a, a journey with God. And I decided mm-hmm. to do that. Um, in uh, in the year 2000. So what kind of experiences were you having that that seemed to be outside the structure of the church? Well, um, let me mention one. I'll just briefly mention it. It, um, it happened in uh, 1974. I was still a member of a Baptist church, and I went on a picnic with some of the members of the church three or four of us all together. And so I was, uh, we went on the picnic and my friend and I, we started hiking. We came to a cliff that overlooked the high tops of the trees. The tree tops were down below us. So we sat and we looked and I was getting like nervous and vertigo because I didn't want to fall off the edge of the cliff. So I sat behind him and he sat in front of me. And so as we sat there, the light from the sun broke through the clouds and began to shine. And as it shined around us, I heard the voice of singing and all around me in four directions. And I began to just, was enveloped in the light and the sound of great love. And that went on for about 30 seconds. And then the sun went behind the clouds. And I said to my friend, did you, did 
did you see that? Did you hear that? And he says, I, he said, I heard um, what I heard it, but I didn't see the light. So we hit this in our hearts. And I says, oh, boy, they never taught me this in Bible school. <laughs> and then you had you we talked you know a, a week ago or so and and you told me about this story of a falling in the street which was oh, really an odd experience yeah this happened later on that year in in june of uh, 1974 uh it's in my book it's also it's called fender in my face and it was a graduation time at um, the high school I was going to, Northeast High. And my two friends and I were running for the bus. And we still had on our practice shoes for the graduation. They ran ahead of me. And I ran across and I slipped and fell in the middle of the street. And as I slipped and fell in the middle of the street, a 1964 Mercury car was running a red light, and it ran, and it came right to my face so much that I saw my reflection of my face in the front bumper, and then a few seconds later, I saw my face in the tail bumper. And this was all moving like in slow motion, like it was a motion picture, and everything was slowed down. And the car we went through each other and i was like it's just so so astounding so my friend standing on the corner holding the bus for me said how did you do that how did you do that so i gathered up my books and and my bible and i just got on the bus and i says well god must have sent his angels to to protect me he says and uh that God will give his angels to charge over you, to watch over you. And they looked at me as if I had two heads, and I looked at them as if they (laughs) had two heads because I wouldn't have believed it happened if they weren't there to tell me. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure because you didn't really – couldn't understand it without someone sort of verifying it um, from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Really wild. Now, you also – you you also were um, you worked in a factory, I guess it was an auto factory yes. of some sort. Yes, yes. And you had another yes. kind of experience. Yes, uh, I worked in an automobile factory. Um, they rebuilt automo- automotive parts, and while I was working, uh, as as I worked there, I became friends with uh, one of the coworkers and found out he lived in the town I was living in which was Collingswood, New Jersey. So we made an arrangement that um, he would pick me up and drive us to work, and I would pay him the car fare, the auto, the gas money. So I would save on, on having to deal with the SEPTA, and he would save on gas. So we did that. One evening, um, I had a dream. I dreamt I was walking up a country road, and it, the sun was the, the the sky was like azure, azure um, pink and blue. And as I walked, I saw this woman walking up beside me, and she says, "You know my son," and she mentioned his name, 
And I said, yes. And she said, I am glad you're his friend. Tell him Yeshua is coming and we will see him. And then we walked into a building that looked like a barn. And inside it was a stadium, like a huge stadium. And the center platform was in the center and and the seats were all around it. But no one was on the stage. And I woke up from that dream. That morning, I met my friend, and I said, you won't believe this. I just saw your mom in a dream. He said, really? He says, my mom has been dead for 10 years, but I'm going to test you to make sure you're not, you know, you don't have two heads. And uh, so the next morning, he came and picked me up. He parked the car and gave me two pictures. One was of his aunt, and the other one was of his mother. Now, his aunt, she favored, she was young, so she favored the, the, the look of the woman I had in my dream. But I closed my eyes, and I said, which one is it? Which one is it? And in my, voice, in, the, in, the, in my heart, the one said, the older woman. So I showed him the picture, and he looked at me and says, you're right. You did see my mom. Wow. And uh, that blew us both away. I, uh, <laughs> um, I imagine it did. But this, you call this, this kind of experience part of the training of your heart, that dreams yes. are significant. Yes, yes, yes. The training of my heart, I've learned um, – from 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 the very uh, small age to listen to my heart, but uh, as I got older and began to join um, um, the the church and going to different churches, my heart would tell me, "Okay, it's time to move on." It's it's uh, uh, some sometimes it was forced upon me to move on. For example, uh, just this brief statement. Uh, I was going to a church in Cherry Hill, and the pastor says, we're going to study about how to hear from God. So he gave a lesson, series of teachings on how to hear from God, which is which is basically get in a quiet place and listen to your heart. So I did. At the end of the week, I had a dream. I dreamt that I was walking into a warehouse that became a church. And in the church was a woman who was separated from her sister for years. And she prayed to God, how can she get in contact with her sister? And God told her, put a, put a note in a bottle and put it in the river. And she did. And at the end of the evening, her sister called her. So then in the dream, I saw myself going up into the front of the church and looking to the left. And I entered into a sanctuary of the church that was three times larger than the one I was in. And then I went back to the back of the church, and I saw children running into the church, all kinds of children running into the church. And I I woke up. So that evening, I received a phone call from a a friend of mine, she was moving a piano from New Jersey, and she was moving it up to Cherry Hill. So one of the movers that was with us 
was a member of a church, and he says, we're having a Bible study on Tuesday night. Would you like to come? So I said, sure. So I went to the Bible study, and the pastor of the church says, we're going to change our format today. We're going to have testimonies before we have any message. So this elderly woman got up, and she said, I've been separated from my sister for 20 years, and I wanted to know how to get it back contact with her. And God told me to put a letter in the bottle and, and put it in the river, and my sister called me that evening. When I heard that, oh I remembered the dream. Yes. And at the end of the service, I ran up to the pastor, and I said, Pastor, where is the other sanctuary, the one that is three times larger than this one we're sitting in? And he says, how do you know about that? I just talked with my elders just a few days ago about us expanding this sanctuary, and it's beyond this wall. And I said, yes, it's beyond that wall, and it will be built, and many children will come into this church. So. Isn't that amazing? Now listen wow. to this. I went back to the ch church in Cherry Hill and told him all the events that happened on how he had taught a wonderful lesson on how to hear from God. And when I told him the dream and told him the events of how I saw another church and how they expanded, he was so upset, he excommunicated me from the church. Ah, really? Wow. And forbid me from telling anybody. <laughs> That's I was amazing. So, wow. I was so <laughs> upset. I was so I upset, but but God comforted my heart and says, Follow me. We're on a journey. And 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 that's how it has been from year to year to year until God it's says, All right. Journey. Yeah. 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 Your, your training time is over. All these churches have been experiences for you. And um now it's time for you to step out. <laughs> Right. Well, well, where did you get your first idea for, or when did the first idea come for Soul Skipper? Well, um, it came when I was I was sitting in my room, deeply depressed. Hello. Yes. Okay. I was sitting in my room. I was so deeply depressed because I had totally uh, had not found any more happiness and going to any other churches because they were becoming more and more increasingly political and and divisive. And I knew that God loved me. I have many experiences of God loving me. And I also knew that I was a homosexual. And I knew that many people taught that God didn't like homosexuals. God hated homosexuals. We're going to go to hell and so forth. But my my experience was the opposite, that God loved me from a, from birth. And um, I was so depressed, I could not think of any more reasons to go on living. Mm. And I said, God, you got to talk to me. you got to speak to me. And that's when God spoke in my heart the, the Celestial Symphony poem. And for 20 minutes, I would listen and write and listen and write. And at the end, I had the poem, The Celestial Symphony. And I said to myself, I said to my heart, now, this is my foundation, the love of God. 
this is my foundation. And so um, from then on, from the year 2000, I began to experience many, many other experiences in God and and wonderful things uh, of love. Yes. Yes. When did you now? Now, what is a soul skipper? That's not a phrase I would know. Well, um, that came from a poem, a writing, a short story that I wrote. I went to a friend's funeral, and as we were sitting at the at the this the uh, funeral, he, he it was like a, a memorial service because his body mm-hmm. wasn't there. So mm-hmm. we're sitting there. And I closed my eyes, and I saw this little boy dressed in blue, and he was skipping stones on a lake. And he went to the lake. He picked up a stone that was odd stone, and it was covered in mud. And he said, you'll do. And he reached back as far as he could. This story is also in my book. And Mm -hmm. he reached back as far as he could, and he flung the stone into the lake. And it skipped and hopped and twirled, and as it did, the mud cover came off of the stone, and it became a crystal stone. And the boy said, well done, little stone. Well done, great soul. Well done. And so I called that story the soul skipper. And the soul skipper is the uh, – it has many meanings. But the most important one is that there is a divine force called the celestial symphony that fills everything. Some people call it consciousness. Some people call it the eternal. Some people call it God. I don't try to put a name on it. I call it the soul skipper. And the soul skipper is the one who directs us and guides us through life and leads us in love and protects us. And you have been compiling writings of your journey through all these religious experiences, which are very personal. You've you've yes. been writing them down and collecting them. When did you decide to to put them into a book? In 2014, I uh answered a I ad on Facebook about publishing a book. It was uh, the company was called Ex Libris. So I had it after I put that uh, ad in and filled out the information. I didn't think any more of it, but I had a dream. God did with me in dreams. In this dream, I was working in a publishing warehouse, and as I was working, the manager of the warehouse was a woman, and she came to me. She was like five, six, short brown hair, bright brown eyes. And she says, I'm concerned about my family at home. Um, and I says, well, would you like to pray? And she said, yes. So I prayed. You are loved in this world. Your family is loved in this world. You are loved in the universe. And if you were the only imperfect thing in the universe, I will give up all the perfection of the universe just to have you. And with that, I woke up from the dream. 20 minutes later, later, I get a phone call from Ex Libris representative, and we began to talk about uh, my book. 
what would you like to name it? I said, the Soul Skipper. And we talked and we hit it off. And I had a had strong uh, feeling to ask him, how is his mom? I said, so how is your mom doing? He says, my mom has been dead for 10 years. And I gave him a description of the woman I just dreamt about in my dream. He said, that is the very description of my mother. Wow. And I was overwhelmed. I imagine you were. I says, well, we're going to have this. (laughs) So I told him about the soul skipper and how I received dreams and stuff. And he says, well, we can call the book The Celestial Symphony of the Soul Skipper. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And so it is, right? Yeah. Now, you also, you also, while we were talking, talk to me about a sculpture that's housed in the Philadelphia Art Museum. That oh, has been yes. Really involved in... Um, I'm yes, on. yes. It's, a it's been a source of guidance. Yeah. Can you tell us, yes. tell us more about it? Uh, well, the artist is Marcel Duchamp. Um, in 1915, he began a work on a, a sculpture plus painting. It's, 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 it's a plate of glass. He painted on it with, with, with lead and, and dust and oils and it's all on the on the uh, glass and there's several items it's called the large glass and as a guard i was assigned to that gallery to watch over it so nobody would touch it or fall into it or whatever and uh as i would a day to day reflect on it information came to me uh to my heart, and like I say, I always listen to my heart, and I would write it down. And the large glass, Marcel Duchamp called it the bride being stripped bare by her bachelors, even. And many uh, 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 have described the large glass as showing the tension between the men and women and the tension between the natural world and the industrial world that um, this work was done in, in, in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And he finished this work in 1923. So I, as I sat there, I heard in my heart, this is about the spiritual and the natural. The spiritual is where your imagination is, where your creativity in your mind is, and where your muse is. And the bride represents that. And the bachelors is you seeking to bring about the physical manifestation of your dream, your vision, your desire. And on this work, there are nine mannequins, and they represent the identification of a person, how that when they're born into this world, their parents give them ID, their teachers tell them they should be this, their preachers tell them they should be this, but they must make a decision in their own lives what they want to be. And that's where the crossbars are in this work. And the crossbars, above the crossbars are seven filters, 
And the seven filters represents discernment. You must discern for yourself what is true for you and what is not. And underneath those filters is a is a work which Marcel Duchamp drew called the chocolate grinder. And the chocolate grinder represents passion. And as you passionately pursue your dream, your desires for your life, your bride, it becomes witnesses. It witnesses in your heart. And then Marcel Duchamp put these four different symbols that look like a a focus of a camera. And they they speak they spoke to me of the hidden witness of the heart. How your heart witnesses to you what you are to be and where you and what you are to pursue. And as you pursue it, you enter out into the courtyard of life. Now behind the large glass is a door is a window that Marcel Duchamp himself had established so that when you look through the large glass, you don't see a wall. You see a window into the courtyard of the art museum. And in that courtyard is a fountain. And that fountain represents a fountain of life to me. That's what I call it, the fountain of life. So um, I'm writing a book on it uh, called Looking at Life Through the Large Glass. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. I imagine that's going to be a wonderful book. I can't wait to find out. When do you think it'll be written? Well, the anniversary of the large glass is 2023. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on it this year to publish it, and so it'll be published in 2023. Marvelous. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I wish you the best on that one. Oh, thank you. Yes. Let's get back to the Soul Skipper. Yes. Where have you marketed the book? Um, I to tell you the truth, this is the first marketing project I've ever been. <laughs> oh, part uh, of okay. Mm-hmm. I've done um, other than um, me giving uh, telling friends about it and and one on one marketing it that way. Right, right. And where is it available? Well, it's available on Amazon, um, Tenet Books, um, eBay, uh, BooksApple.com, um, it's, uh, Exlibrius. Um, and, um, there's several, um, Overdrive.com. KindleEbooks.com. Yes. Oh, so it's around. It's definitely available. Yes. Yes, That's it perfect. is. Perfect. And do do you have, do you have a message for our listeners, Jeremiah? Yes. Yes. My message is that God loves you, and God is lives in your heart. Um. Yeshua said, do not look for here and there in the mountains and the sea and all over, for God lives in your heart. The kingdom of God is within. And that is my message, that God lives in you and God loves you and wants to be intimately involved in your life. And the spirit of my book has four tenets, love, 
love one another, joy, joy, enjoy life, peace, peace abides, and be patient. Be patient with yourself and be patient with people around you because not everybody is at this, has the same understanding that you have. Mm-hmm. Those are mm-hmm. four good tenets to live by. Yeah. Well, Jeremiah, we're we're about to close out this this interview. Um, do you you have a phrase that I've heard you say several times? Uh, that you use it to close your emails. You you use it to close out conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Bless your water and your ways. Can you yeah. explain the meaning of that phrase? Well. Um, it is simple and it is profound. The simple is we are made of almost all water in our bodies. So when I say bless your water, I mean bless your being. May your whole being be blessed, be full of love. And bless your ways is how you live your life. Let your life reflect that love throughout your whole life. The profound is that water, physical water, records thoughts, memory, and that scientists are studying this phenomenon about water. And another profound thing is that wherever there is water, there is life. Well, thank you. Thank you for that explanation. Oh. That's, it is both simple and profound. Yes, I also want to, I want to thank you for being on the program today, Jeremiah. I want to thank yes. our listeners for, for tuning in. As a reminder, we've been speaking with Jeremiah Miller about his book, Celestial Symphony of a Soul Skipper, which is available any number of places, but the most commonly known is Amazon. Uh, and a variety of different bookstores. So thank you again for sharing your book with us and your audio clip, Jeremiah. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You are such a blessing to me. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's it for us, folks. Bye for now, (laughs) and have a blessed day. As Jeremiah would say, bless your waters and your ways. Yes. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverrunes.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.